presence. Father, thank you for this morning. We're grateful that you are a perfect Father and that you care for us and will care for us to the very end and far beyond the very end. We're grateful that you give us gifts. We're grateful that you give us uh, moms and dads. And for those who don't have them, may they look to you. But Lord, for those men who are here today who are dads, help them by your grace to point others to you ultimately, but help them to be good dads uh, who love Christ and who seek to be faithful in living a Christ-honoring life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, it wasn't too long ago that I talked to a a gentleman uh, who visited Omaha Bible Church, and maybe by gentleman I'm being nice. Um, He said, I knew that Omaha Bible Church was a bad church the first time I came. I said, really? I'm about to buy this guy lunch, by the way. So this is how the lunch started. I knew Omaha Bible Church was a bad church because you said and stressed and emphasized that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of the finished work of Christ alone. Hmm, right? Things that make you go, hmm. Now, on one level, I didn't want to buy the guy lunch. (laughs) And he had some social skill challenges, let's say. But on one level, I have to tell you that it warmed my heart. It troubled me because he was a troubled person and he didn't understand and I was going to have opportunity to help him understand. But it warmed my heart because at least it was clear that when he joined you and joined me on a Sunday morning, it, became lo- it came across loud and clear that salvation is of the Lord. That the only hope that we have is based upon the finished work of Jesus. That Jesus paid it all. That Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. That there's nothing left for us to do. There's nothing that we can do on our own that we have to trust in him. And it thrilled my heart and gave me joy that at least he understood that. And it made me think about Romans chapter 5. We've been looking at Romans. We've been doing a series away from a book study. We're going to get back to that. Our, if you're new to Omaha Bible Church, our normal bread and butter week in and week out is to be in one book of the Bible. But we've taken a short break looking at this series called Jesus is Better. So we've looked at Luke chapter 10 and Jesus uh, talking about salvation and and ultimately causing us to look to him. Uh, We've also looked at Romans chapter 5 last week. We've also looked at Romans chapter 2. And what we're seeing again and again is that Jesus is the only one who can meet the requirement. And so we trust in Jesus. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of the work of Christ alone, is how we say it shorthand. And yet, it begs the question then, after five chapters of Romans, and it's so clear that it's all of Him, the question people should be asking is, does this mean that we can just sin a lot? Because after all, in chapter 5, when Paul is comparing the two representatives, Adam and himself, he talks about how, how Jesus is greater 
Paul does. And so while sin increased because of Adam and our being united to the first human being representative, grace all the more is all better because Jesus is better. So where sin increased, grace all the more abounds. And that then leads us to that place where we say, chapter 6, right? Does this mean that we can just live however we want to live? And that's what I'd like to have us look at this morning, and we're going to see that the answer is no. We're going to look at Romans chapter 6, seeing Jesus is better because he not only provides for our right standing before God, our justification, he also provides for our spiritual growth and maturity and new life, what we oftentimes call our sanctification. They're both tied to Christ and they're both important, but we have to make sure that we don't confuse the two. Jesus not only justifies, Jesus also sanctifies. He changes our lives. I think it was Martin Luther who said, if people aren't asking the question that Paul asked in Romans chapter 6, does this mean we should just sin? I'm paraphrasing. Then you haven't been clear about the gospel. If people who don't know better aren't saying, that's a bad church because they teach you can behave however you want to behave. If they're not asking that or posing that, then we haven't been clear. But there's more to be said because Jesus provides for both. So these are basic chapters, basics of the Christian life, and we probably can't see them enough times. But this morning we're going to see chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. The whole thing really deals with this matter, but we'll only have time for the first 14 verses because I have a list of 13 new members here that we're going to welcome to the church at the end. So if you'd like to have all of chapter 6 and you're not going to get it this morning, I'd be happy to arrange a private meeting with you. Or blame the new members. They're just so, so in the way. No, that's not the case. We can catch the whole thing, the gist and the big idea in the opening half of chapter 6. So let's begin working on it together now. It's so crucial that we have this question. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Oh, that's the right question. When you share the gospel, I hope people ask you that question. Four chapters of it's so clear. It's all of grace. Not only that, chapter 4 says God justifies. He declares righteous sinners. Not godly people, but ungodly people. Whoa! Maybe this means we can act however we want to act is the question that needs to be asked. But he answers the question in verse 2. Look there. You might want to fasten your seatbelt for this one. By no means... No! You, 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 you've got it, it's all of grace. Good job! But that doesn't mean it stops there. It doesn't mean that there isn't more involved. It doesn't mean that Jesus only has you in a right standing before God. Let's call it position. He also leads to your life changing. Something else happens and behavior actually matters. And this is important because some people say Christianity is no good because it doesn't lead to any life change. That's a lie. Romans chapter 6 is going to help us see that. Some people say it's okay to live however you want to live. Some professing Christian teachers say it's okay to live however you want to live. And that's not true either. But what we want to see is we've got to have the right categories or we have a different religion. Okay? If we say, if we put our obedience, if you will, in chapters 1 to 5... 
then it's faith and works leads to God accepting us and Jesus didn't do everything. So we leave our obedience out of chapters 1 to 5, but there's a place for obedience. It's because of what he's done. It's because of his power. It's because of our being united to him, and that's what chapter 6 is dealing with. By no means, it says, should we just live however we want to live. Interesting statement that he makes. If you did a search and looked at it in the original language, it's used in Romans and Galatians for things that are outlandish, un thinkable. I, I jotted down and I'll say them as fast as I can. Roman, uh, questioning God's faithfulness. No! Romans chapter 3. Questioning God's righteousness. No! Chapter 3 of Romans. Questioning God's law. Romans 3. No! Questioning the purity of God's law. Romans 7. No! Questioning the goodness of God's... I already said that. Goodness of God's law, chapter 7. Questioning the justice of God, Romans 9. Questioning the faithfulness of God, Romans 11. Questioning the purity of Jesus, Galatians 2. Questioning the rationality of God, Galatians 3. It's, it's, it's one of those statements that, that's reserved for the unthinkable. So think about this. If we question the purity of Jesus... No Christian in their right mind is going to do that. Unthinkable. Perish the thought. Christians can act however they want to act. He puts it on the same kind of level. Unthinkable. No, that's, that's the wrong conclusion. So as some who've gone before us, our Christian ancestors have put it, trying to put a, put a, um, a bow on this package... Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of the finished work of Christ alone. But it doesn't stay alone. Something happens. There's a result. Change happens. Not to get you to be a citizen of heaven, but because you are a citizen of heaven. So let it be heard today that Christians are supposed to behave. Christians are supposed to obey. Christians are supposed to do the right thing. Not to gain legal status before God, justification. But because they, we're going to see, have been united to Christ. They have new life. So we should be doing the right things. Because God has accepted us. I think I told you a couple of weeks, well, I won't, never mind. I, I'll stick to the notes. The basic rationale behind this, if you'd look with me there in verse 2, comes... How can we who died to sin still live in it? And there you have it. I circle the two words, died and live. Because they don't go together. How can we who died to sin, and, and he's going to unpack it, we did die to sin. We died with Christ. So how can we then live in the physical realm, and he's borrowing from the physical realm, you, you can't be living and dead at the same time. And so he's using that as an analogy of impossibility. Can't be. We died with Christ. Now the rest of what we're going to look at today is just unpacking that. So if you just get that much, you get it. We have died with Christ. And if you died with Christ, then you can't just live in sin. Christ died for sin. You get it. You get it. 
This is what in theology or in Christian discussions uh, is referred to as union with Christ. We've been united to Christ. Oftentimes the Apostle Paul talks about being in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And I always had a weird kind of view. What, what, how could I be in Christ? It doesn't really make sense. But the idea is, is united to Christ. If you're united to Christ, you, you receive all of His benefits. He did, he did everything necessary for you, even to overcome the enslavement to sin. He's done that for us. He's a great Savior. He's better than we might have known. He justifies us. And it's because of Him that we have sanctification as well. He sanctifies us. The Apostle Paul isn't the first one to come up with this either. Jesus talked about being united to Christ. He uses different language, but you all remember John chapter 15, don't you? Jesus said, I am the, what? The vine. And you are the branches. Right? Apart from me, if you're not united to me, you can do what? You can do nothing. But in me, united to me, right? Looking forward to what he would do, you'll bear much fruit. A synonym for obedience. But it's because of him. It's not even this. It's not we get justified by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and then it's all about you. Get her done. No, we're called to obey, and we're going to get it in this chapter, but it's actually because of him. It's because of our union with him that this power comes. And so I don't mind saying to you, Christian, obey God. It's not an option. But it's not a naked statement. It's not an alone statement. It's because of Christ and you've been united to Christ. The fruit bearing is because of Him. He's the source of life. He's the source of, in the right sense, when it comes to sin, death. Sometimes we forget that. I love it that in Romans 6, we have this first challenge in it, and it's, it's not all alone commands. It's inseparable from who Jesus is. And so I think we should remember that when we're busy telling one another what we should do because there's a place for that. We should never forget that it's, it's not divorced from Jesus. It's actually because of Him, empowered by Him. We'll say more about that because that's what pastors do. <sighs> we should move on now, though, to th- verses 3 to 10 where he gives some more details. And he's going to emphasize knowing. We're supposed to know, verse 3. Knowing, verse 6. Knowing, verse 9. Know, verse 16. So this is something you have to know to understand it. So how about verse 3? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, there's a union kind of thing, Jesus, were baptized into His death? We who were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, so Christ, we too might walk in newness of life. Great metaphor, right? It's used quite often in the Bible. Walking, conduct, obedience, doing the right thing. Christians say, how is your walk? How is your Christian living? We're saying, how is your obedience? How is your devotion to God? Are you busy loving God and loving neighbor, we could say? But he's making the case rather clearly. United to Christ, went to the grave. United to Christ, raised from the dead. That's how we now have 
a new walk, a new conduct. Not on our own, but because of Him. Very good, very important, very straightforward. Should I talk about the baptism thing? I probably have to. So there are three options when it comes to what the baptism is. Um, But I just want you to know the emphasis isn't baptism. (laughs) The emphasis is on being united to Christ. But some would say, well, that's how you get justified is by being baptized. Okay? We're going to take that one off the table. It's not an option. That would be a contradiction to the first five chapters. He justifies the ungodly, not the obedient who get baptized. So we're going to take that one off the table. That would be reserved for a different religion. A religion who doesn't believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Then the other two options, um, and I'm not sure which one's right. I'll tell you mine. But one is, he's talking about people being baptized because it symbolizes what it means to be a Christian. Okay? It, it, it's shorthand for their, their entire conversion experience. Could be what he means. A lot of Bible teachers think that that's what he means. Um, it, it, it's shorthand for the whole of believing and repenting and all the things that go into becoming a Christian. And then what does every Christian do? They get baptized and that kind of says it all. Would be a way, the way a lot of people take that. I remember when uh, Todd Swift and I were teaching in a seminary in Siberia years ago. But they described Christians as people who repented. And that was their shorthand. They didn't talk about believing in Jesus. They didn't talk about trusting in Christ. They didn't talking about, talk about making a decision or whatever it is that we might say where we use shorthand. They just said, they would say, when did you repent? They meant, when were you converted? It was their shorthand. Uh, the Apostle Paul may very well be using that in the baptism sense. It's the spiritual union with Christ that happens by faith. Okay? But it's symbolized, it's shown shorthand in baptism. Or it may be, he's not talking about water baptism at all. He's talking about a spirit baptism that's a dry baptism. I used to joke and say in Romans chapter 6, you can turn your Bible upside down and shake it and no water comes out. Um, Because there are such things as dry baptism. It's being placed into, immersed into. And that might be what he has in mind here as well, I lean more toward that because he does say in verse 3, baptized into Christ, not water. Baptism into death, verse 4, not water. Baptized into Christ Jesus as well uh, is synonymous with united with him in verse 5. But I think we can all be friends and fellow church members as long as we don't hold the first view. <laughs> When, when people get baptized here, it's symbolic, right? It just happened. We just heard about another one. It's symbolic of, of trusting in Jesus. And when you trust in Jesus, you've died with Him. And then you're raised with Him. You come up out of the water. So we get that. We understand that. And that's not even His overall emphasis here. His overall emphasis is, maybe, maybe Satan wants to get our eye off the ball, so to speak. The emphasis is, if you've trusted in Jesus... It's not okay to behave badly. If you've trusted in Jesus, you've been united to Him. And if you've been united to Him, you had a spiritual funeral. You died to sin. And you also had a spiritual new birth 
by the power of the Spirit, you've been raised anew. And so now you can and we expect you to honor God, to live a life that would please Him, live a life of obedience. And that's the emphasis of what he's getting at. How about verse 5? If we've been united with him in, his, in a death like his, and we have. I wrote that in my margin. And we have. He's already made that clear. We shall certainly be, how about that? Certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So there's a certainty. 6. We know that our old self, our unregenerate self, our spiritually hostile self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing or rendered powerless so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Everyone's enslaved. My unbelieving friends don't know that. Some of my believing friends might not know that. Everyone is enslaved to sin. It's our master. But we're set free because we die. We die. And death is used here as a positive thing. No more worries. I mean, one thing's going to be true. When when I die, I'm not going to worry about the bill collectors. Not a perfect illustration. I'm not going to worry about the visa bill. I'm not going to worry about anything. Well, again, not a perfect illustration. But we died with Christ, so we don't have to worry about our enslavement to sin anymore. We're free. We're free, is what he's saying. We have this freedom. And he looks at it from so many different angles so we can understand that now we have this freedom so that we shouldn't just keep on sinning. It doesn't make any sense. How about verse 8? Now, if we've died with Christ, again, I wrote in my margin, and we have, because we already learned that, we believe that we will also live with Him. Here's why. Verse 9, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For death, for the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So it wasn't for his sin. He was the substitute, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. But no doubt he died. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now it's all life. So what I would like you to really, 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 really get, and it'll help you the rest of your whole life, it'll help you to be a better thinking Christian who's supposed to know, 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 and know, and know these things. It'll help you to be a better counselor to friends and enemies. It'll help you to be a better parent child, grandparent, whatever it is, Jesus justifies. Jesus sanctifies. Positional standing before God. Remember Romans chapter 5? Therefore, having been justified by faith, faith in Christ, we have peace with God. Jesus also sanctifies because if you've trusted in Him, you had a death and you had a resurrection 
And now you're no longer enslaved to sin. In fact, now you have a new, gracious, kind, powerful master who enables you to act like a real human being and do what human beings were made to do from the very beginning, which is love their creator and love fellow image bearers. It really changes our perspective on everything. Now, here's where I think, well, I think it's all interesting. I shouldn't say here's where I think it gets interesting. Maybe let me, let me talk about something practical first. So out of all these things that father, since it's Father's Day, mothers and children, workers, co-workers, bosses, neighbors, out of all, all these things we're, we're called to do, called to be good neighbors, we're called to be good workers, we're called to be good leaders, we're called to be good brothers and sisters, we're called to be good... We're called to honor God. This is, this is how, how you need to think of it first and foremost. You've got to know this. This is where it comes from if you're really going to do this as a Christian. It comes because of Christ. It even talked about how He was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. It's to put the glory of God on display, raising His Son, but His Son is raised on behalf of everybody who would believe. So as you do these things, you're glorifying God. Christ was raised for you. So I want to never forget this. But I do forget this, and you do too. Because we talk about, okay, what, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What's the right thing to do? Or I'm going to tell you, here's the right thing to do. But what we don't want to lose sight of, it's in this context, it's because of our union with Christ that these things are possible. And, 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 and that's where the motivation comes from too because it's for His honor and glory, the glory of God, that this would happen. Jesus is a great Savior who justifies and sanctifies. Now, How about verse 11? So you also must. You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here we have the first command, the first exhortation in the whole book. This is one of the reasons I keep trying to tell you, don't get your obedience in chapters 1 to 5 or you have a different religion. We have five chapters of no commands. All the things that Christ has done. All the things that Christ has done. If you're into grammar, let's say the first five chapters are all in the indicative. What Christ has done. And now, finally, finally we have an imperative. Here's what you, you who trust in Jesus, must do. And so we've got to have that straight. Our exhortation, our imperatives, our commands are grounded, founded, and settled and based upon and empowered by the great work of Christ and union with Him indicative. It's what makes biblical, authentic, genuine, legitimate, however you want to say it, Christianity, so unique and different. Amazing.
Amazing. Can't over-exaggerate this. See, otherwise, we're just telling drowning people to swim. Doesn't make any sense. But now, quite honestly, we're telling people who've taken life-saving classes and passed by virtue of the power of Christ to swim. Because they can. They can because of Him. Consider yourselves. There's our first command. Some of your translations might say reckoning or calculating. It's a counting word. Paul likes it a lot. It means ponder. It means uh, let your mind dwell on. Turning it over in your mind. You could use the word uh, uh, meditate. And it's the kind of command that you're always supposed to be doing. So from here on out in your Christian life, keep reckoning. Keep thinking. Keep turning it over in your mind. Keep meditating on the fact that you've been united with Christ by faith. And that's where the power comes from. And so you say, you know what? I've got a hard... You fill in the blank. Keep pondering. Keep considering. Keep meditating on the reality that you've been united with Christ. And so you now actually have power to do the right thing. Don't forget this and just start doing it on your own. You're to be thinking about this. There's more involved than thinking, how about, but there's not less involved. He's going to say more than, Pat, you should just think about this. This is not salvation, this is not sanctification by meditation and thinking. But we can't have real sanctification without the meditating and the thinking. Okay? He's going to call for action that actually involves action, but the first action is, Reckon, 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 and keep reckoning. Or as R.C. Sproul would say it, I heard him say one time, he said, it's like in the old westerns. Do you think it's going to rain? Pause, pause, pause. The other guy says, I reckon it is. (laughs) Because you're thinking about it. Having thought about it, I've concluded that it's going to rain. We're counting it and recounting it in our minds. I've been united with Christ. I've been united with Christ. I've been united with Christ. I'm now alive, able, empowered because of what He's done for me. Consider it, He says. Consider it. Calculate it. Think it through. And then we have action based upon that. How about verse 12? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Another imperative. Don't let sin have dominion over you. It doesn't make any sense. To make you obey its passions, its lusts. Verse 13, do not present, here's another imperative, another command, do not present your members, yourself, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present, there's another command, yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, by the way, because you have, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Because you can! This is extraordinary. You couldn't before, but by virtue of God's grace coming into your life, now you can, and now you should, and now it's right, and now you must. 
And by the way, in case you're, you're fumbling because of big kind of Bible words, where he says, and your members, in verse 13, to God as instruments for righteousness. Righteousness means adherence to God's law. It means obedience. So, saying, now you obey. Obey God. You say, that's hard to get around because there are a lot of commands in the Bible. You're right. Get busy. <laughs> right? But we can boil it down and at least make it a little easier. It's love God and love your neighbor. There's a starting place. Because that's what, what, what it's all about, ultimately. Shorthand. We learned that from Jesus. So now we have the proper empowerment, supernaturally. And now we have a proper perspective because we're meditating, thinking, turning it over in our mind. We're doing this not for our justification. That's been settled. Thank the Lord. But now we want to do this to honor God, to glorify God because we can and we should and we must and it's what's good and right. Fourteen says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And I wrote in my margin, and I would encourage you to do the same. We're not under law for justification. We're under grace for justification. It's important that you remember that, because otherwise it wouldn't even make sense. Because righteousness means adherence to law. He's not speaking out of both sides of his mouth. But he's now hearkening back to, I've never said hearkening back to in my life, but you get the idea. <laughs> it's so weird what you say, especially when you read a lot because this stuff gets stuck in your head. He, he's, he's mentally reaching back to chapters 1 to 5. We're not under law for justification. Jesus fulfilled the law. When it comes to him, he had to do the work. But when it comes to us, it comes by grace. In fact, in chapter 5, he talked about this abundant grace. But, but that's exciting too. You're not under law, but you're under grace. There, there's, there's a relaxing that goes on there that then engages the muscles. So I can relax in the, on the one hand because I'm not under law for justification. I'm under grace. Right? But that actually motivates me to think about Christ, to meditate upon, and now I've been united to Him. I have the supernatural power by the supernatural Holy Spirit, who He's going to talk about later. So now the muscles are engaged. Go! Do! But not out of utter, absolute peril and fear. Because you're not under law for justification. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. It's amazing to consider this. Make sure you understand that you're supposed to be a good you fill in the blank. You really are. And it's really not an option. But please understand, <laughs> you've got to have the right categories. And you can't have what we like to sometimes call gospel. Okay? If you have gospel, you have law and gospel mixed, and you ruin both. God's law says you better be perfect, perpetually, personally, right? And you can't be. So you look to the one who is and was on your behalf, 
and God accepts you based upon His work, it's by grace to you. But based upon that, there is another category, and it's called sanctification. Both are important. Both are important. But we don't mix the two, or we have the Galatian heresy that mixes the both. It mixes the both. And when you mix the both, it's not good. Not even good English. Now we're ready for all of the other commands that come in Romans. Oh, and all the commands that come in 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, in Galatians, in Ephesians, in Colossians, in Titus, and I'm starting to skip verses or, or books. I, you, now you're ready for all of it. Now you're ready for all of it. To the point where, how about I'll just choose chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, therefore... Ha-, no, that's chapter 5. <laughs> I urge you, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God, the stuff we learned about that Jesus did, to present your bodies, all of you, as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. In other words, now your whole life can be a life of obedience, not so that God will accept you, but because He has accepted you. And now you're ready. But here's my problem. Because I struggle with sin. I forget about Jesus and I forget about the cross and I forget about all of these things and it's only all about the naked command. And what you need to tell me is, Pat, you're doing it wrong. Start with your reckoning. You could say, Pat, I reckon you're wrong. (laughs) You're wrong about your reckoning. So sometimes we talk about Christ-centered things. This would be a Christ-centered approach to sanctification. Okay? And we don't want to call it that just because it's trendy and cool to say Christ-centered. But it actually is a Christ-centered view of sanctification. We're not saying live however you want to live, but we're saying you live to honor God because of what He's done for you in Christ. And because if you're united to Christ, if you're not, you can do nothing. But according to Jesus, united to Him, which happens by faith, bear much fruit. And then who gets the credit for it, by the way? He does. He does. Oh, wow. If I could, this wouldn't be good for my sanctification and it wouldn't be good for yours, but if I could, I would only ever study Romans. Because it covers so much. It covers so much. It's amazing. Let's pray, if you would. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the men and women and boys and girls who are here this morning, for those who've trusted in Christ, for those who haven't. Please grant saving faith to those who have not. Lord, thank you so much that we can look to Christ not only for a right standing before you, but even as the very one who provides life so that we might live in a way that would honor you, that would be best for us, best for our families, best for the city of Omaha and beyond. Indeed, you're an amazing Savior. Thank you for your amazing word, the Bible. We're thankful for the way you've worked and even putting this amazing book together. May it motivate us even today to do what's right because of Christ, to honor Christ because we can. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.